you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to go to Job and uh, the Old Testament book of Job. And we're going to be looking at uh, one verse here in just a few minutes. We're continuing the series that we started a few weeks ago on knowing God. And the goal is for us to have a greater appreciation for who God is. And uh, so this week and then next week and then the week after that, we'll be starting a new series uh, going through the book of Acts. I'll be uh, sharing some more information about that soon, uh, but uh, that's kind of the idea of what we're, what we're going to be doing. You know, I just want to take a second, if I can, and, and just ask God's blessing on this time. So let's just pray real quickly here. God, we need you. Um, you know, I, I, I dare not open your word and, and, and endeavor to talk about it without asking you for help and, and guidance. God, this is your word. And I pray that uh, when I communicate, it would be accurate and helpful. So God, only that can happen by your spirit's enablement. And so we pray right now that, um, that I would be able to communicate in a way that's helpful and that you'd remove distractions, whether here in the room or for those who are at home, um, many distractions come up. And I pray that uh, we would be free from that for the next few minutes and we'd be able to, to learn of you and, and how great you are. The goal is for us to, to have a greater appreciation for you because you deserve it. And so may you send your spirit to help us with that goal today. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Um, you know, life can change very quickly, right? It's amazing how quickly things happen. Some negative examples, you know, just a couple days ago was the anniversary of 9-11, right? And uh, I remember that very vividly. I remember uh, I was actually uh, in Boston on September 10th, and I was on my way to to Canada, and uh, on September 11th, I was in Canada at my destination, and uh, I remember Anouk telling me, hey, you got to turn the news on. And uh, just, it was life-changing for our country in so many ways. Um, and not to mention, of course, the many families of those who, who lost loved ones, uh, whether first responders or people that were in those buildings or nearby. Life changed so quickly. Well, even we're living it right now with COVID-19, right? Um, you know, in, in March, March 17th, I remember that was the first Sunday we stopped meeting together. And in my mind, I was thinking, okay, you know, because you remember in the beginning, it was 15 days to flatten the curve. And I, I, I knew it wouldn't be only two weeks. I was thinking it'd be like four, maybe six weeks. In the back of my mind, I was, I was studying myself for that. I had no idea the changes that were about ready to have. Our world is changing, you know. In the Bible, there's plenty of examples of life expected changes. You know, we have Abraham who was told just to take his family to an unknown land. Um, he didn't know exactly where he was going, and he, this happened later on in his life. And this wasn't something that he knew about. It was something that just happened in his life, and it, it changed. And, and uh, he obeyed God and went forward. Moses, very similarly, he, uh, you know, many of you know his story of how that he was 
born and then he was saved uh, out of the, the riverbed there by Pharaoh's daughter. And then God used him to, to lead the people out of slavery that was in Egypt and, and all the ups and downs of that. Uh, Moses wasn't anticipating that when he was a teenager. He was not anticipating what God would have him do. Life changed real quickly for him. I think of Joshua as well, as where he picked up after Moses, and then he was the one who brought people into the promised land. And, and that was something that, that as then he embarked upon that, he was, he was asked to do something that was difficult and uncertain. And of course, the 12 disciples, of, they were living their lives. Some of them were fishermen. One was a tax collector. Uh, other people had different occupations. And then there's this man that was about their age and looked a lot like them. And he walked up to them one day and said, follow me. And then in the synagogue one day, this man named Jesus sat down and, and he grabbed the, uh, the book of Isaiah and he read from it. And it was, a, it was a prof- uh, the prophetic passage about the Messiah that would come. And he read this passage and then he hands the scroll back and sits down and he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine being there that day? Can you imagine you know, what Peter's response was when Andrew came to him and said, hey, brother, we have found the Messiah, right? When John the Baptist was going out and telling people about it, these 12 disciples, their lives turned upside down in a moment because Jesus simply said, follow me. Another example is Job, right? And this is the book that I've asked us to turn to. And Job's experience is that if you look in chapter one, and we're not going to read chapter one, but this, the, the summary of the story is, is that Satan uh, and God have a conversation. And basically Satan says, uh, or God says to Satan, he says, have you seen my servant Job and how faithful he is and how, how he loves me, how he follows me? And, and, and Satan says, well, of course he's done that because you've blessed him. But if you take away his blessing, he will not follow you. And so he says, if you let me inflict some pain on him, I guarantee it that he is going to turn away from you. And God says, okay, you can do that, but you cannot take his life. And he gives Satan parameters. And so Satan then begins to afflict Job. And, and Job, he loses his, his possessions. He loses his family. He loses his health. Uh, he's got sores and boils all over his body. He's in tremendous amount of pain, and yet he is alive. And the Bible says in all this, Job did not sin God nor charge sin against God nor charge him foolishly. And he had moments of ups and downs, of course, in this, but he was someone who his life unexpectedly got turned upside down in, a huge, in just a very quick moment. Um, one of his friends, Bildad, tells Job that he needs to repent of sin because it, there could be no other example. There could be no other reason why this man would be going through so much pain and suffering other than the fact that he had sin in his life. And so this is this, this section where I've asked you to turn to in Job 9. In chapter 8, his friend Bildad has basically just said, look, you need to ask God to forgive you of whatever sin. You need to repent of whatever sin that is in your life because obviously God is bringing these things into your life so that that you will get rid of the sin. And, and Job, he responds in a way that is unexpected. In verse 1 of Job 9, and I've asked you to turn to this chapter, it says this, it says, then God 
excuse me, then Job answered and said, truly I know that is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, how one could not answer him once in a thousand times? He's basically saying, yeah, I know that you can't stand in front of God as an unrepentant sinner. I know that. He says, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And he says, but that's not what's happening here. And this is the verse that I want us to think about today. Verse 4 He is wise in heart. He's describing God here. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? And then he goes on to describe of how God has shown his wisdom and strength here. And so Job's response to his uncertain time is very, is incredibly helpful to us when we are in uncertain times. Job's response here is something that we can learn from. And, and you know, we are in uncertain times right now. Uh, our lives have changed. Our lives have changed in different ways. And, and much has changed very fast. And if I'm going to be honest, I, sometimes I catch myself just wishing that this all would just go away, right? I just wish that it's like we don't have to deal with all these different things and stuff like that. But, but here's the point is I don't want to simply survive this time of uncertainty. And I don't want our church to simply just survive this time of uncertainty. I want myself and I want you to thrive during this time of uncertainty. You know, I, um, I was reading the book this last week. It just came out. And Tom Rainer wrote a book called The Post-Quarantine Church. And uh, he, he, has, he had this to say, which I thought was helpful. And I agree with. He says, the relatively stable times that churches in North America have enjoyed over the past two centuries are an aberration, certainly compared to other parts of the world and down through the history of the church. We really have enjoyed a, a lot of peace. We really have enjoyed just kind of plugging along and doing whatever we felt was best and, and without a whole lot of difficulty. That's, that's really been our experience for the last couple hundred years here and something that we should have been incredibly grateful for because that was a gift from the Lord. But now things are getting more complicated. It doesn't mean necessarily that there's persecution or things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is, is even how to do ministries and, and how to interact as a church and, and things like that. It's getting more complicated, and it has been more complicated. And, and sometimes I feel like in my own heart, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one, that we just feel like, I just wish this would go away. While that's not necessarily wrong to pray and ask God to change circumstances, I mean, Jesus himself asked God to, to, if there be another way, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane, but yet then he submitted to the Father's plan. And so, but I think what, what we need to focus on today is whether or not we're going to just simply survive right now or we're going to thrive during this time. And so if I was going to have a thesis statement or something I would ask you to, to you know, meditate on for the rest of the week as a result of hearing the sermon today, it would be this sentence here. Remembering God's wisdom and power are crucial to thriving in uncertain times. And we see this from Job 9 verse 4, that remembering God's wisdom and his power are crucial to thriving in uncertain times. So I have two points today. One talks about wisdom, one talks about power, depending on how I budget my time. I'm planning on getting through both of those, but if I end up talking too much, maybe I'll cut it in half and we'll do part one today and part one next week. But uh, I'm hoping to get all done in, in one sermon today. First of all, let's thrive by remembering God's wisdom. We see this in Job 9.4 uh, is that he says, 
God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. This is his response to being told he's got to uh, repent of sin that he didn't do, of being uh, uh, accused. And he's, he responds by worshiping God. And so what I want us to do is I want us just to take a minute here and think about examples that we can see from Scripture of God's wisdom. And so where is God's wisdom on display? Now, I'm going to just share three examples quickly here today. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, okay? All I'm trying to do with this sermon right now is I'm trying just to spark some thinking. And so it would be helpful for you to, to spend the rest of this week to, to think through these three examples that I'm going to give, but then also uh, think through uh, what you would add to the list. Because these three examples by no means are the only examples of God's wisdom here. But first of all, I want you to consider God's wisdom as seen in creation. You know, God, the way he's designed this earth, the way he designed everything, it is absolutely breathtaking in the wisdom that he has shown. And that's one of the things that when we see the complex nature of creation, we see how things are held together. We see the beauty and the majesty of space and of earth. We can only stop and wonder at the wisdom of God. I mean, just the, the fact that the, you know, if the earth were a little bit farther away or a little bit closer than the sun, life would not be possible here. But yet, God sustains that. We see how that uh, the, the world is, is sustained and, and, you know, one of the things that I, I've often thought about is, is uh, the, the technology of how God has created things, like, like, like our bodies and how that they heal themselves. I mean, think about that. I mean, we, we take it for granted that if, if we get a cut or something, we'll put a Band-Aid on it, and then in a couple days, we'll be fine. And, and, and we don't really think about it. In fact, if we cut ourselves and, and we put the Band-Aid on, we, we typically don't think about it again until we put hand sanitizer on the cut, right? Okay, that's when we remember that we have the cut. But other than that, we don't really think about it because because we know that it's just going to heal itself. But, but think about the wisdom of God to do that. I, you know, I've, I've got my phone here. I've got my cell phone here. And, and, and if, if I were to drop this and the screen were the crack, right, then what am I going to do? Oh, I've got to go buy a new phone. I've got to get it replaced and all this stuff. But what if? What if I came up with technology? What if I invented technology that if this screen here cracked, in a couple days it would heal itself? It would, it, would, it, would, it would come back as new as it just was. I would be an incredibly rich man because of this technology, right? It would be amazing. People would say, that is incredible. How did you do that? This is what God has done with our bodies. This is what God has done. Imagine having a car that if it broke down, it healed itself. You got a flat tire, it reinflated itself. You're back on your way. It's, it's science fiction to us a lot of ways, but God's wisdom that's just one example of our bodies, the way he's done that. He's the way he's designed us. You know, God in his wisdom has, it, it, through creation, should take our breath away. In Psalm 104, I won't ask you to turn there, but if you were to turn there, you would see that, that, uh, that David here, he's writing different things, and he's talking about creation and stuff like that. And in the middle of this, he says, he kind of breaks into this word of praise in verse 24. He says, Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. 
So David here, the, the author of Psalm 104, is, is, as he's reading through it, as he's, he's writing it, he's meditating, he's praying to the Lord, he just stops to see the wisdom of God in creation. So let me just encourage you, in uncertain times, one of the things that we can do is that we need to look back at God's creation. We need to look back for examples of God's wisdom because that is going to help us in uncertain times and how I'll get to that in a minute. Let me give you another example of redemption. Redemption would be another example of God's wisdom here. And what I mean by that is that sin caused a very complex problem. And sin, when it entered into the world, it really made a big problem because it was, in fact, the greatest problem that you and I will ever have because God designed us to have fellowship with him. God designed humanity to have a relationship with him. But when sin came into the world, it blew that apart. Now, it didn't catch God by surprise. He knew about this. We know that because Ephesians chapter 1 says that before the foundations of the earth, he had the plan of salvation ready to go. So before he even created the world, he knew that this would happen. But here's the reason, but this, but, but this was a huge, huge problem. How can a holy God have fellowship with sinful man? How could he do that without sacrificing his holiness? How could he do that without sacrificing his justice? He couldn't just overlook sin. He couldn't just say, okay, we're not gonna, I'm not going to worry about that. Well, then he's, he's, he's going up against his just nature. Because he's a just God, so he has to deal with sin. He has to deal with those things. And so he has to deal with this. So the the plan of salvation is one of the greatest acts of God's wisdom. Of Jesus Christ coming to this earth and and, and being in a body. the, the, The second person of the Trinity coming down and being born of a virgin and living a sinless life. And then dying a death that he did not deserve to die. And then rising again. That checked every box necessary for God to restore fellowship and and a relationship with humanity and yet not sacrifice his justice, not sacrifice his holiness, and at the same time put on display everyone to see his love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. This is an incredible act, an incredible example of God's wisdom. So for those of you who are Christians here, for those of you who have a relationship with Christ, don't take that for granted. This is one of the the, the examples of God's immense wisdom, the fact that you and I could have forgiveness of sin. This is not something that you and I deserve. This is not something that's like, well, of course we get that. It's not like we sign up for a credit card and we get, the, and we get it. We fill out the information, we get the credit card. Okay, so we, we, we pray the prayer, we get the salvation. No, this is a great example of God's wisdom and drawing us back to himself but that after our sins separated us from God. It's amazing. And this is the reason why Paul in Romans chapter 11 said, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. He's saying it after reflecting on the salvation plan for a couple chapters in Romans. Here he's talking about how the Jews and how the Gentiles both can have forgiveness of sins in relationship with God. And he ends this discussion over a couple chapters with saying, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of God. Paul understood. He understood how deep the wisdom of God was on display in the redemptive plan. So creation, redemption. I want to share one other thing, uh, one other example of God's wisdom, and that is the church. 
Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You see, this is why God wants us to be part of a church. It's because it is in his wisdom, his plan of wisdom, for us to be part of a church and to be engaged in a church. This is how that we grow. This is how that we can uh, progress. This is how that we help each other. This is how we see the glory of God displayed in the world. This is how we see his plan go forth is through his church. Now, look, I I understand churches are messy. I've been part of church my whole life. I've I've had front row seats to the the great benefits of churches, and I've had front row seats to the ugliness of churches. And the reason why we have that is because churches are made up of sinners. And where where sinners exist, sin exists. And so there's no church that's going to be perfect. But that tells me that God chose something like that to display his glory, to move his message throughout the entire world. That was what happened in the New Testament. They established churches. That's one of the things that we're going to talk about in the Acts series of how God established churches in the New Testament. That was his plan. This is his wise plan. Now, the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom is manifold. Of course, you know, God's wisdom is natural. Man gets wisdom over time and through experience. God's wisdom is complete, and man's wisdom is specialized usually in, in different, in, in very specialized areas. God's wisdom is unflappable. Man's wisdom is influenced by circumstance. And so we see if we compare the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man, we see how God's wisdom is perfect and just. So here's what I'm encouraging us to do today. Look at God's wisdom, because that will help us thrive in uncertainty. Job here, where, we've, where we started this, this, this sermon today, was in a very uncertain time, and yet, what was one of the first things he says was, God is wise. And that's how he could get through this, because he understood if God showed his wisdom in creation and redemption and through the church, of course, Job didn't know the church yet, but you and I do. If we look at God's wisdom on display through all those things, don't, can't we then assume that God is wise in the moment of uncertainty that we're in? Can't we then assume rightfully that God's wisdom has not ceased? He's had wisdom for for all these years and all in the existence of the earth, but now that COVID-19 hit, God's wisdom has stopped. No. Now that you've lost your job, God's wisdom has stopped. Now that you're not having the prayer request answered the way that you want it to be answered, God's wisdom must have stopped, right? No, we see so many examples of God's wisdom that should call us back to worshiping him. So Job, when he didn't understand why he lost his family, he didn't understand why he lost his riches. He didn't understand all these things. You and I understand it because we read Job chapter one, but Job didn't read that. He wasn't privy to that conversation in heaven. He wasn't privy to that. And so he had no idea. And yet, Job says, he is wise. That's what you and I need to say right now. This is how we're going to thrive. We may not understand things. In fact, I would say that you're not going to understand everything. But God's wisdom is not ever put on pause. So God's wisdom, as seen in the past, should enable us to trust him in an uncertain present. Does creation move you to worship God? Are we amazed at God's wisdom in redemption or are we unmoved and unimpressed and we feel as if we just deserve forgiveness? 
The church displays the wisdom of God, and we can, we'll probably unpack that in the Acts series much more, but the point today is we should engage in it then. So God's wisdom seen in the past should enable us to trust Him in an uncertain present. But recognizing God's wisdom was only half of Job's response. In the few minutes I have remaining, let's talk about the second part is let's thrive by remembering God's power. Because he says in verse 4, he is wise and mighty in strength. He's talking about God's power there. And so what I want to do is very similarly to the first point, I want to give some examples of God's power. And again, it's not exhaustive, uh, and this will be another thing. I don't have homework assignments uh, for you today, but you might want to think about how you can see God's power uh, on display in your life, uh, you know, in the past or in the present. Uh, you might want to see of, of in, you know, how you have seen God show his power. That might be a good exercise for you this week. But I'm just going to share three quick examples. And the list may actually be familiar. Number one, creation. All right. We see God's power in creation, right? Think about this that God spoke the world into existence. Psalm 39, 33, verse 9 says, For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded it and it stood firm. God simply spoke and it happened. Is there a greater example of power than that? Is there a greater example of power that when in the creation week, when, when God was forming everything, he simply just spoke words and it came to be. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And, 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 and he said, you can read about this in the first part of Genesis. And I think we lose sight of what an example of power that creation week is. I mean, consider if you've ever been part of a construction progress, a project, you know the difficulty of making something. You know how long it takes, right? You know all the uncertainty and you know all of the things that come up that you didn't plan on. If you ever do a home remodeling project, right, you're going to budget a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money for your home remodeling project, right? My advice to you is double it, okay? All right? Before you swing the hammer, before you hire a contractor, or whatever it is, you just need to pretty much double what you had in mind, right? Because inevitably, you know, once the wall gets ripped open, there's going to be the conversation of, well, you know, the wiring's not up to code, and so we're going to have to redo the wiring. Oh, okay, all right, let's do that. And then when they do, they start redoing the wiring. Well, the panel needs to be replaced, you know, and it's, okay, we'll do that, okay. Well, then, you know, we need to replace the electric company to serve your house, and so that's going to cost money, all right? I mean, it just balloons out of control, right? And pretty soon it's like, maybe we should just buy a new house? You know, I, all I wanted was a dimmer switch, okay? <laughs> you know, it, it just balloons out of control. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Wouldn't it be great if you walked home and you're like, yeah, I want a dimmer switch, dimmer switch. And it came to be, right? You and I never could do anything like that. I remember my brother and I, my brother who's, who's here today, I remember uh, he and I would do household chores around the house and things like that. And, and we would split up the, the lawn mowing uh, responsibilities. He would do half of it and I would do half of it. And, and I can remember us at times when we were doing work or things like that of, of thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could just say lawn mowed and just watch the grass go down, right? We can't do that. We have to work hard. God, in creation week, simply spoke. And it came to be. Everything in nature, God, the book of Job later on will tell us that he controls by his word. Nothing happens 
without God's divine plan. His power is on display in creation. He spoke and it came to be. But his power is also seen, as you know what's coming next, is redemption. Think about this for a second. I just went through a couple minutes here of saying how God did not have to work super hard on the creation week. He simply spoke and it came to be. He rested on the seventh day, not because he was simply tired. It was because he wanted to instill this idea of enjoyment and this idea of, of balance in life. But he spoke and the world came to be. But in redemption, that was a lot different of a plan. God didn't merely just speak from heaven for the salvation of our souls. God didn't merely just send a word and say, okay, fine, in a distant way, okay, we'll, we'll figure this out. No, Jesus came and became man. And he gave up his position in heaven. Philippians says that he did not consider equality with God of things to be held on to. He was willing to set aside some of those divine attributes so that he could live on this earth for roughly 33 years or so and, and deal with all the pain and all the suffering. And, you know, when Jesus was a carpenter, there were times he got a splinter in his hand. And there were times where he had a bandage a cut. And there were moments where he couldn't sleep and he was tired and he was exhausted and he was hungry and he was thirsty. John chapter 4, the, the story of Jesus talking with the woman at the well, it says very explicitly there, Jesus sat down being weary from his journey. You see, those were things that Jesus had never experienced before in eternity past. So while in the creation week, God spoke and he did these wonderful things of creating the world that is just mind-blowing of all the galaxies. And if you were to think through of that, it's not just our earth. I mean, just the, the, the galaxies and all the stars and things like that. But in, when it came to redeeming your soul, there was a whole lot more work involved. Think about that. But it was his power that was on display there. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. It says in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, Paul's writing here, he says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. That immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is the redemption plan. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Here Paul is saying this is a great example of God's power, of God's might is when Jesus Christ died and he rose again for the salvation of our souls. Acts chapter 9 reminds me this as well of the, the Paul, I've told you he wrote Ephesians chapter 1 there, but, but he was not always a good Christian man, right? In fact, his name was Saul before, and he, Jesus later changes his name to Paul, but when he was known as Saul, uh, he was one who persecuted the church, and he was one who would throw Christians in jail, and he was one who hated the name of Christ. And yet, on the road to Damascus, while he was going to carry out further persecutions, Jesus met him there and radically transformed his life. And if the apostle Paul, if Saul of Tarsus could be converted, anyone can be. The power of God, when God puts in his heart to draw a man or a woman to himself, nothing will stop that because of the power of God seen in the redemptive plan. So we have creation, we have redemption, and you know the last one from our first point, and that is the church. 
We see in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, he says, I'll tell you, Peter, that you know, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is invincible. Local churches like this may rise and fall, they may open and close, but the church, the universal church that God has set up that which all local assemblies are part of, that will never die. No amount of persecution. In fact, we've seen over and over again throughout history of the, when the church is persecuted, it actually flourishes. We're going to see that in the Acts series in a few weeks. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because the power of the church is not in its membership. It's in its head of Jesus Christ. And that's what you and I get to be part of. We get to be part of something where it's a tremendous example of God's power. And so we go back to uh, uh, Job 9 here, and we see here, he says, of course I'm not going to rise against God because his power and strength. Just because my, time, my, my life is uncertain right now, it doesn't mean God's power has been put on pause. It doesn't mean that God's power has suddenly been, been removed and it's been dried up. No, God's power is limit, limitless. Man's power is limited, but, and, and we see that with, with all the different things going on in the world that we're trying to contain viruses and things like that, and we can't. But, but God's power is limitless. God's power never diminishes. Man's power comes and goes in a short amount of time. People rise and fall, but God's power is eternal. God's power is always controlled by his wisdom, and man's power is, is not always controlled by wisdom. And so we just see how God's power is so great, and it really should cause us to be able to thrive in moments of uncertainty. So look at God's power and thrive. God doesn't need man to, to, to accomplish his purpose, but he uses mankind to do that. And it's an example of his pride, of power. Well, let me bring this to a close. You see, Job worshiped God in a time of tremendous pain and uncertainty by remembering God's wisdom and power. We see this in Job 9.4. So in these moments, when you're faced with uncertainty, when you just want everyone just to, everything just to go away and you want to just pull the sheets over your head, you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Remember God's wisdom and God's power. That will enable you to hit the day. That will enable you to follow God's leading in your life. That will enable you to adjust and make uh, changes that we don't really want to make because we know that everything that's happening is under God's sovereign power and his wisdom. Now, you have to have both. You have to have both wisdom and power. And this is a theme, and I, I put several verses on the screen here. I'm not going to go through them all, but this is, you can just see that there's a theme in Scripture of how God's power and his wisdom go together. That, there, that, that it's not just one. You have to have both. Because, you see, um, uh, a wisdom without power ends up just being pathetic. But power without wisdom is frightening or scary. And so the fact that God has both perfectly means that our souls can perfectly and completely rest in him and follow him and even in the most of uncertain times because he's both powerful and wise we can be we know it will be okay. Because if he was all wise but had no power, he might have a great plan, but he had no way to carry it out. And the forces of this world and our own uh, uh, stubbornness would override his, his wisdom. But if God was all power and not wise, we couldn't trust him. We couldn't trust that he would use his power in a way that would be helpful to us. But the fact that he's both wise and powerful means that our souls can rest safely in God 
even in the most of uncertain times. While you're waiting for the test results to come back, God's wisdom and power sustain you and cause you to thrive. While you're looking for the job, the new job, or while you're asking God to grant you that desire of your heart, whatever it is, and you, you know it's a good request, you don't know why God would say no to it. You can rest in God's wisdom and power. So here's some application as I bring this to a close. If we truly embrace God's perfect wisdom and complete power, here's how it will play out. We'll be grateful and we won't complain. We will not have opportunity, we will not take the opportunity to complain before God because we know that he is wise and good. I've said this before that if we believe in God's sovereignty and in his goodness, we can get through anything. And this is related to this, his power and his wisdom. And so the response of us is even in certain times is that we can be grateful for so many things rather than complain about it. And let me tell you, I'm guilty of this. This is what God's been working on my heart about. I I tell you this, I preach sermons that I need to hear, okay? And this is one of the areas that as I've been studying this, the Lord's been pressing on me because it's so easy to complain. It's so easy to complain about circumstances. But if I really truly believed in God's wisdom and power, why would I complain? There's nothing to complain about. I would also have freedom and not fear. I'd be free to follow and just obey. Uh, and, and if I believed in God's power, I, I wouldn't be afraid to follow him and do whatever he asked me to do. But we're very unwilling to take risks. But Jesus said to take up our cross daily, and he was calling us to a life of risk. But we're so risk averse. But if I believe in his wisdom and power, and, and I believe he's, he's asking me to follow him in a certain way, then there's freedom there, not fear. And then this causes us to thrive in uncertainty rather than merely survive it. So let me encourage you today and this week that you worship God in his wisdom. Worship God in his power and let that uh, bring a peace and satisfaction to your soul that, it's, that your soul so desperately needs. God's wisdom and God's power. You know, one of the things that we're going to do now is that we're going to have uh, the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. For those of you who are gathered here, that is that um, we're going to um, uh, we're going to uh, break the bread here in just a minute here. But one of the things that I wanted us to consider about this, as as we're thinking about this, is God's wisdom and God's power. Think about how the table, the broken bread, and the juice. It reminds us that God is all wise that this is something that he's given to us as a way of our, 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 to show our redemption of the fact that he died for our sins. And in a minute, I'm going to break the bread, and that's going to be symbolic of Jesus' body being broken because in 1 Corinthians, this is what Jesus says. We, we get this recorded of how at the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my body. We see it in Luke as well. Of This is my body which is broken for you. Father, I do pray that uh, we would uh, worship you uh, through this time of the Lord's table, and I pray that, um, that you would receive all glory and honor at this time and help us to remember your wisdom and power. In Christ's name we do pray, amen.